Abolition. Abolition. Today. Right now. State of Louisiana, right? Healthcare. Um, ranked 46 in USA. You only got 50 states. 46, all right. Education. Number 48. Mm. Economy. Mm. Number 47. Mm. Opportunity. Mm. 48. Mm. Stability. 42. Mm. Crime and correction. Mm. 50. Mm. Natural environment. 49. Mm. State of Louisiana. How did you feel about that? The last stats that I had before I came home, Louisiana had the highest incarceration rate and the lowest graduation rate. Graduation rate. That should tell you something right there. Everybody always looking at the effects. Let's start looking at the cause. Uh. My mama used to pray that she'd see me in jail. It's fucked up, she got see me in jail. On a visit with Lil Poppy and her, even though I seen it be well. They got a smoker with a kid in my cell. Damn. And even worse, my dad's black, don't want to see me too well It's either that or black people for sale Get me two to four years, like fuck your life Meet me in hell, and let it burn like Lucifer You look even stupider, trying to press some people in power with power abusers For $44 an hour, you coward, they use me Cause it's self-hate, they made you send me update This way the so-called real niggas sweeping up for cupcakes And that's your phone time, you ain't got no money, you ain't online Can't call your son, call your daughter just to wish them on prime Oh God, don't let them streets get a hold of them your daughter Fucking now, it's gonna be a cold summer. Your son trapping and your homie giving old to him. And if you fuck that paper up, he putting holes to him. And you just wanna make it home so you can show it to him. And them people ain't finna get no parole to you, they want blood. We all hanging with a noose on our neck. My telly mom just died, he wanna use my collect. And he won't make it to the wake unless he give him a check. We still niggas though, what you expect? I just want, I just want, I was on the corner with the Like they telling you, they not equal. Eleven years going to court, knowing they might. 
you would drive you crazy. 23 hours in a cell, somebody saved me. I'm on a jail car trying to explain it to my baby. I gotta do the calendar twice and that's a maybe. Drama, drama, drama. I just won. I, just won. I was on the corner with the reef. Then they got a swarm for a freak. See my brother blood, blood on the pen. How you wake up in the morning feeling evil? You just heard 16-year-old Eric Brown, or at the time he was 16 years old when he went into Angola prison, and that was followed up by Meek Mill Trauma. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archives podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org and on all major podcast platforms. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. What's going on? Peace, Yusuf. I'm here at the Park Company Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina, as always. As always. Let's get it going. So part of our ongoing goal is to shed light on every state's uh, fighting in the halls of legislation to remove pro-slavery constitutional language. So last week we highlighted uh, legislative testimony in Nevada and Vermont. The speakers channeled the raw, honest passion and determination of our abolitionist ancestors with words that rung out across the annals of time. Uh, They were, are, and will continue to be life-changing, inspirational, uplifting, hopeful, and powerful. Those amazing testimonies you heard last week hold as true to current events as they did for Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth, and Mother Tubman in their time. So this week, Max and I are joined by Curtis Davis. He's an author, abolitionist, and formerly incarcerated director of Decarcerate in Louisiana. Curtis is a founding member and executive director of Decarcerate Louisiana and the In Plantation Prisons Project. He was instrumental in overturning unconstitutional Jim Crow juries in Louisiana. He is also a member of the Abolish Slavery National Network and introduced the Louisiana Abolition Amendment. Curtis also has a book. It's entitled Slave State, Evidence of Apartheid in America, and it's available for purchase now on Amazon.com and other locations. Curtis spent 25 years in Angola prison. Since leaving that literal slave plantation, he has become a beacon of hope for those still left behind. And, of course, we'll have news, updates, music, poetry, testimonies, and the voices of the ancestors reclaimed in our Bridging the Gap segment. So I also understand, Max, that uh, we're being live-streamed in the, uh, what do you call it, the clubhouse. So that's a new means of being able to listen to our broadcast is being uh, live-streamed in clubhouse. And it's also on uh, the Club Deck app. 
Okay, in Clubhouse via, it's great to hear that. So before we get started, Max, tell us about uh, what you think of the opening track and, you know, how's your week been? Man, the opening track, yeah, you know, I was thinking of how to start today's program. And those harsh statistics coming from Eric Brown, since released from Angola Prison, I thought was a good way to do it, uh, talking about exactly what's going on there in Louisiana, 49th in, uh, you know, equality, 50th in uh, the prison industry. I mean, just everything down at the bottom. Uh, And then Mm -hmm. he said uh, that when he went in, the stats he had was that there was more people incarcerated than graduated. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's what they're dealing with, you know, and that has long-term effects when you oppress people that bad. And then Meek Mill, of course, he's been working with the people in Louisiana, particularly with uh, Brother Cole out there uh, in uh, Angola. He's very aware Mm -hmm. of the 13th Amendment, and he talks about it a lot, as he did in that song, talking about the 13th Amendment, saying you could still be slaves. And we have something in common, Meek Mill and myself. Mm -hmm. Both of our mentees were murdered in Louisiana. So yesterday marked the anniversary of the death of Moyadine Dibaha, who was killed in New Orleans four years ago. Right. Um, so the same thing happened with Meek Mill. An 18-year-old prodigy he had working with was murdered out in Louisiana. So, the, you know, there was a lot of connections there underlying what you just heard. Um, and as far as how the week has been going, man, it has been really crazy. Uh, for those that have been listening past few weeks, we've had this saga going on with trying to get Vermont passed and put on the ballot. And I'm proud to tell you today that Vermont joins Tennessee and Oregon on the ballot for 2022 for the people to choose whether or not they want slavery right. in their state. So, uh, That's right. Yes, we, uh, we all did the damn thing. And we had a big impact on the Vermont legislation. They even gave us a shout-out uh, during the hearing uh, where it passed 139 to 3 with 5 abstaining. Right. And I just want to point out that the 3 that voted no and the 5 that abstained were Republicans. Just want to point that out because we see that's happening. Surprise, surprise. Regular uh, not all Republicans in Vermont voted no, but those that did were all Republicans. You know, when I uh, when I was listening, uh, and I didn't get the opportunity to go back and listen to it again, but uh, there was one that really stood out. So as they were taking the uh, roll call, most were just saying yay or yes, but one woman, uh, she she chose to actually speak with an explanation, and she explained that her yes vote in support of this bill was dedicated to someone who was enslaved in Vermont. This person was actually sold to a person who was a sitting judge in Vermont history. Uh, Again, I don't recall her name, but it just stood out for me, you know, that she recognized the magnitude of the event. And the connectedness going all the way back to then. Uh, We are literally our ancestors' wildest dreams right now. uh, For sure. That was a very powerful moment, listening to the legislators explain why they were voting uh, and, and 
They even did a roll call. So you had to say it out loud publicly for everybody to hear you. <laughs> and even those three that voted no had witnesses watching them vote no to removing slavery from the state constitution. Right. So that happened. Also, Bianca Tylek, who is uh, the director for our federal campaign in the Abolish Slavery National Network, uh, working to introduce the 28th Amendment, she just uh, was published in Teen Vogue in an article about this very issue. So you should check that out. Let's get a chance. All of those, everything we talk about tonight will be on our website at Abolition Today. At some point during the evening, uh, our sister and team member, Jeanette Smith is feeling very sick today, so she's not going to be able to get it on the website as we speak of it, as she usually does. So just, you know, stay tuned, follow uh, the page, and we'll have it up there for you uh, soon. Yeah. And right. get well so, soon, Jeanette. Get well soon, Jeanette. Quarterly gathering is coming up for the Abolish Slavery mm-hmm. National Network. That happens on February 26th. Uh, it's going to be an amazing time. Uh, all the states that are, have legislation are coming together to speak on these issues and tell you what's going on in their states. Federal representatives will be there. Also, the descendants of Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington will be there uh, as well to speak. <laughs> Amazing, right? Uh, we're going to have a couple of uh, fantastic poets. Brother Christopher Johnson who was a former guest, poet laureate of Providence. And uh, also nominated as Poet Laureate of the state of Rhode Island He'll uh, be there as well Performing a poem specifically made for the event So make sure you go ahead and RSVP uh, At the quarterly ASNN event Um, You don't want to miss this And share it with everybody that you know It's worth it Uh, This is history uh, And you want to witness it And share it too And I guess I'll finish it off with I got a couple of invitations recently. One is I was asked to come speak in Alabama uh, and spend some time there from the uh, March 4th through 9th to be a part of Bloody Sunday. Uh, And so they're going to do the march across the bridge there uh, from Selma to Montgomery. And then speakers will speak, uh, including Barack Obama and uh, Al Sharpton and myself. (laughs) So that'll happen March 4th through 9th, we'll be in Alabama uh, for the 60th anniversary of Bloody Sunday. And then I was asked today to come on down to Tallahassee, Florida, so I could meet with Representative Diane Hart, who sponsored the anti-slavery bill there, part of a panel of discussion on the issue in Tallahassee, Florida, also in March. So I'll be getting around a little bit in the coming days. So that's how my week has been, man, and I'm I got to admit, I'm very melancholy today because, as I said, it's the anniversary of my mentee, Wayadeen Dabaha, and some of the last things he did had, was doing before he was murdered in 2018 was championing this cause right here, slavery abolition. He had just did right. a spot on MSNBC along with the president of the NAACP and they were speaking about Hillary Clinton and her connection to the prisons and he came right out and said it. Everything that we say right here, he said it on national television. And then a few right. weeks later he said. Yeah, and so, we we don't lose sight of the fact that he was in Louisiana because there was some 
uh, legislative gathering, and he was going there to get some information that was going to be beneficial to what he was doing back in Charleston, South Carolina. So between him having that national uh, audience or that opportunity to address a national audience, and they knew what he was trying to establish. I mean, we go back to uh, when they were having the town hall, you know, right after, you know, that murderer Dylan Roof went into Mother Emanuel Church and they had the town hall and, you know, you, me, your wife, your daughter, and mm. many others. We went down to the town hall and we basically took it over, you know, <laughs> with Sharon Eiffel just standing there like helpless with a PBS yeah. broadcast that they would that they were recording. You know, because you know, uh as as Moy Dean was pointing out you know, they're sitting here with a bunch of people in the room where what we're talking about has nothing to do with them. With the people in the room, right, exactly. And they censored us that day. They played everybody else on PBS but us. And we were like right. the crowd favorites. <laughs> but they didn't want right. people to hear what we had to say, apparently. Hey, uh, I see my brother Curtis Davis is on. So let's go ahead and bring him in, all right? Let's bring him in. Um, Curtis Davis is a founding member and executive director of Decarcerate Louisiana and the In Plantations Prison Project. He's instrumental in overturning unconstitutional Jim Crow drawings in Louisiana. He's also a member of the Abolish Slavery National Network and introduced the Louisiana Abolition Amendment uh, that we had in 2021. His book, Slave State Evidence of Apartheid in America is available for purchase now. So make sure you pick it up. The link again is available in the flyer as well as being on our page. He spent 25 years in Angola. Uh, since leaving that pla- slave plantation, he's become a beacon of hope for those still left behind. Uh, I want to welcome to Abolition Today, Brother Curtis David. What's happening, fam? How you doing, family? How you doing, abolitionists today? Um, um, followers and um, Ansars. My name is Curtis Ray Davis II. Of course, he just introduced me. It is, first of all, a pleasure to be able to uh, speak to the family that cares something about the fact that slavery still exists in the United States of America. Um, I talked to Mac um, and Yousef about how we can actually explain to our listening audience the, the ramifications of this exception clause. A lot of times we hear that um, this is just a symbolic gesture. You, you know, we're taking this out of the constitutions across the United States, and what does it really mean? This is really, really personal to me. So I actually am an ex-slave. I've actually picked cotton. We're talking about, I, I, I was raised in Compton, California. I traveled to the United States. I graduated from Cal State Long Beach University. I am um, ex-military. However, when I turned 21 years old, I was convicted of a second-degree murder in Shreveport, Louisiana, in which I did not commit. However, it doesn't really matter in the United States whether you actually committed a crime or not, only if you had a fair trial. They feel like if we put you on trial and we don't break any of the rules, then whether you've done a crime or not, we get to keep you. Because this is big, big money, people. You understand what I'm saying? 
And when we talk about slavery and we talk about abolishing slavery, I don't want you guys to get it twisted and think that slavery is a place or slavery is a prison or slavery is a plantation. Slavery is a condition of life. Once you're sentenced to a crime and you're duly convicted, according to the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution and the First Amendment of the Louisiana Constitution, you can now be discriminated against. That means you can be beaten. That means that you can be um, talked to any kind of way, um, sexually, uh, racially, because you don't have the same protections under the law as normal United States citizens. And that's what this is about more than anything else. Of course, you can also be forced to work um, against your will. So I, I wanted to start it by letting you know about that part right there. Um, while, while I was, um, and before Max starts asking his questions and you start asking their questions, remember this. When you're a slave, whether male or female, and you go inside of these institutions and you don't have the protections of the Constitution, that means that women can watch you while you're in the shower, or men, if you're a woman, can watch you while you're in the shower because these are security measures. After all, you're not really a human being anymore, even though you're still, under God, a human being. So, um, Max, I'm sorry for um, making my introduction so long, but so many people are confused about what slavery is. So let me know what we're talking about. Um, you're making a lot of sense to me. Uh, you know, I'm feeling you. Uh, we're, we usually use the Harvard Bellagio Goddard on slavery. Um, there's an echo. I'm not sure how I can get rid of it. But um, we usually use the Harvard Bellagio Guidelines on Slavery that says the legal definition of slavery is found in Article 1 of the 1926 Slavery Convention, which reads, slavery is the status or condition of a person over whom any or all of the powers attached to the right of ownership are exercised. So the moment that you're duly convicted, uh, your classification now becomes a slave because it's legal in your constitution, not only federally, but also in Louisiana. And that is an exercise of the right of ownership in addition to the forced labor, which is another exercise of the right of ownership. And then the, the removal of your constitutional rights, turning you into Someone who is considered civilly dead With no rights except those Allowed to you by the prison And the politics therein uh, So you don't even have your rights There uh, collectively They might try to say well Eighth amendment rights are being violated and they are uh, But you never hear mention anything About fourth amendment or fifth amendment Or sixth amendment or none of those Others you know Right. So, yeah you're right on point and your intro Wasn't too long brother I'm glad you got a chance To tell people who you are and go right into the fight itself. Um, you're a brave brother, as I said, and a beacon for those who are watching and, and seeing how you work, uh, keeping them in mind even after you got out. Uh, that is something that is to be commended. So, indeed, welcome to the program, brother. It's nice to have you here. Thank you very much. Where brother you said that? I'm here. I'm here, I'm, man. It's, it's it's just a pleasure, just a pleasure, you know, having you on. You know, because I know anytime, you know, I hear you talk, you always bring it. You know, and you don't cut corners with the you bring it direct. 
and you know I, I applaud that. And, and like Max said, you know you're you're brave for what you do because we know that this is this is a dangerous game. As we're going to find out, as we're going to be hearing from some and hearing from some news stories, you know that there are a lot of people that are not liking what we're doing. You <laughs> know, and you know, speaking for myself and for you, we don't give a damn. <laughs> Oh, and that's the God's honest truth. Um, I heard a long time ago from my father that you can't get out of life alive, right? Mm. So we we were raised not wow. to fear death. You understand what I'm saying? Because this is going to happen anyway. It's about how we live our life, the, the quality of how we live our life and always lean to righteousness, right? So I mm-hmm. came inside the prison system. And let me qualify myself, first of all. I am... Um, I was born in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, when I, I'm a, a bastard child, even though my father actually adopted me, my mother's name is Queen Esther Johnson. She is the original Los Angeles welfare queen. We moved to Los Angeles when I was one years old. She seen some flaws in the system. And like most people grow up with the white Jesus on their wall, I grew up with um, black fists. Afros, the iconography of the struggle, and she explained to me what she was doing um, in making me 60 different children. My mother got 60 welfare checks every 1st and the 15th from the time I was 4 <laughs> years old to when I was 14 years old. So I never lived in a house without a swimming pool in it, right? But she also gave me Mel Satan's Red Book. I grew up knowing what the Black Gorilla family was, all right? Uh, learned karate um, early in Compton, California, with brothers who also taught me about what this struggle actually means. I knew who Joanne, uh, um, who Asada Sakura was as a young person. So I was blessed to be born inside of the struggle, right? And so mm-hmm. to be wrongly convicted in a uh, plantation state like um, Louisiana seems like it was part of God's plan for me because when I saw what was really going on inside of the, the, the maze and I, I had the 26 years or the 25 years, the opportunity to really study and read and try to find a map to the maze and understand white supremacy because a lot of times we just mad, right? We hate the situation the people are messing over us and all this, this, that, and the other. But do we really understand the um, the machinations of how the process works and that just marching, just um, holding up signs is not going to change our condition? We've been doing this for a whole long time, right? So when I came home from prison, my idea was to change policies and laws. And that's what we started to work with in 2016 in the state of Louisiana. And since I've been home, we've been able to change about 18 slave laws that are embedded in the binary coding of the constitution of the state of Louisiana. So when I met Max, it was like, oh, wow. I got somebody now that can tutor me, they can help me understand internationally, present this argument, how to help people understand that this is not just rabble rousing, this is a moral issue that affects both um, black and white people because 
people say, man, white people got their foot on our neck. And I think more that we have our neck under their foot. But either way, we're stuck together right now. You understand what I'm saying? In a system that has at its root the 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 coding of racism that marginalizes our people to this day. So, I mean, whatever y'all want to ask me, I'm here for that. And I thank you for inviting me to the show. A pleasure, brother. Uh, we've had some good conversations offline, too, as you're a member of state operations. So uh, just yesterday we had some deep conversations with the rest of the crew uh, about some of the most commonly asked questions. Uh, we might get into that later on this evening. But I, I do want to share something with you as well as our audience. You know, I, I was doing some research, and I was reading the address of George Williamson, the commissioner from Louisiana to the Texas Secession Convention, you know, because people talk about was the Civil War about slavery. But if you look at all of these different articles of speeches that they wrote, you know exactly what it's about. And I just want to read a little bit about it, a little bit of it for everybody to hear. In Louisiana, they said the Red River and the Sabine from common highways for the transportation of their produce to the markets of the world. Texas affords to the commerce of Louisiana, a large portion of her products. And in exchange, the banks of New Orleans furnish Texas with her only paper circulating medium. Louisiana supplies to Texas a market for her surplus wheat, grain, and stock. Both states have large areas of fertile, uncultivated lands, peculiarly adapted to slave labor. And they are both that in African slavery, that it may be said to be absolutely necessary to their existence and is the keystone to the arch of their prosperity. That's how they all saw it. Am, am I right, uh, Curtis? Yes, sir. Um, in the state of Louisiana, uh, you know, this is a, a, this is um, the poorest state in the um, United States of America um, after Mississippi. However, they have per capita more oil here than anywhere on the planet Earth. We have the plantation and the colonial pipeline that sends natural gas to the east coast of the United States of America and the west coast of the United States of America. So politically, they're powerful. Resource-wise, they're very, very wealthy. But they want to um, hold on to a heritage and tradition that puts people in a case or caste system just like India or South Africa during the clerk and apartheid. So what we're fighting here is something super different. Remember during the um the Civil War, the last um governmental seat was here in Louisiana for the Confederacy. This is the stronghold of the Confederacy. So what we're fighting against is heritage tradition and the right for certain people to treat other people as though they are lesser. You understand? So it's big, big, big. When you're talking about removing slavery, they're like, you're taking away our heritage. Hmm. And think about that for a second. Absolutely. Heritage, the, the, the root of heritage is the same root of hereditary. And when they say that this is not about race, this is about heritage, hereditary is about race. DNA, that part. You understand? So when we fight, we fight at the United Nations, which we had an opportunity to speak at three or four months ago, Max, 
um, was that um, a, yeah. a few months ago we were able to take our case before the United Nations, and we'll be there um, in um, Switzerland next year to bring this on an international level. That is what um, abolition today has given to me, the ability to learn more. As a, I listen to the guests every week, man, you guys are educating us all over the world and a better understanding of how to deal with these issues, right? So when I went to the United Nations and I brought the case before them, they understood, and now we have an opportunity to bring a genocide case against the United States of America because when they lock us up based on race and they target in our communities and they turn the legal apparatus towards black communities, we understand that we can't reproduce anymore. So when you can't reproduce, now you have a genocide situation, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something that I need your help with and our listening audience because we got to bring the case for genocide against black people based on the weaponization of the legal system in the United States. Yes, that is absolute God honest truth right there. We have to deal with this as a crime against humanity, Uh, genocide and slavery. We cannot stick with the old thinking of that. This is somehow an error in judgment or mistakes over time or uh, bad decisions made during periods where certain things were okay that led to this inadvertently. This is all done on purpose, uh, specifically built to be the way it is right now. So when you say the system is broken, you lying. <laughs> the system ain't right. broken. The system is working 10 times better than they expected it to work. With 24 million people going through this system every single year. Uh, I'll repeat this statistic again so it burns in people's heads. We have more black men in cells in the United States than the top five African nations do combined. The top five populated African nations do combined. Right. They have nearly 600 million people, half of which are black men. You're talking about nearly 300 million collective black men. And we still have more black men in prisons than they do. That's how bad it is here in the United States. In Louisiana, is known as the prison capital of the world, with more people per capita in cages than anywhere else. Although that title has been being passed back and forth by a couple other states, Louisiana stays right up there at the top. Um, I want to give a trigger warning for, for you, Curtis, as well as for some of our listeners, uh, because we're going to play a clip. And this is a clip from the hearing that we had about removing the exception clause from the state of Louisiana's constitution. And this exception says uh, no person shall be denied the equal protection of laws, period. No law shall discriminate against a person because of race or religious ideas, beliefs, or affiliations, period. No law shall arbitrarily, capriciously, or unreasonably discriminate against a person of birth, age, sex, culture, physical condition, or political ideas or affiliations, period. And then it says, slavery and involuntary servitude are prohibited, comma, except in the latter case as punishment for crime. Article 1, Section 3. It sounds so good, but hidden in that is the deviousness of the slaver class. So we're going to listen to a little bit of uh, Louisiana's Representative Seaball 
and the comments that he made after your testimony uh, as a person who spent 25 years on their damn plantation. And that'll be followed by Brother Boosie Badass and MO3 with my people in prison. Uh, remember, we don't censor our artists here. So what they say is what they say. Uh, if you got little ones around, you might want to move them uh, because this is adult <laughs> content. <laughs> we'll be right back. After this, you're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan and our guest today, Curtis Davis. Hold on, Curtis. We'll be right back. Abolition. 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 Representative Seaball for a question. Representative Jordan, I appreciate what you're trying to do. Um, The language, the the exact language that you're trying to strike is in the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. And, And the except... Well, as a, um, the exact, I, it's close. Close. It, the, it's close. It, the U.S. Constitution says, "Except as punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted." Right. It's, it's similar. Same. Similar, concept. but not exact. Yeah, I, I want to just clarify that because I think you said exactly. And we would agree that uh, the language, except in the latter case, is punishment for crime. The latter case is referring to the involuntary servitude. This has absolutely nothing to do with slavery. Is that correct? Do you know what the word "latter" means? Absolutely. I know exactly what it means. There's two things, slavery and involuntary servitude. So when it says, except in the latter case, it's referring to the second of the two mentioned in the list, which would be involuntary servitude, not slavery. Grammatically, is that correct? Almost, but it's not. And I would would not necessarily agree that they are the same. Um, The... It, the, the question, the problem that I have when I actually read this is, I think this might be one of the most dangerous bills we've seen this session, simply because felony convictions are the difference between a misdemeanor and a felony is with fel, a misdemeanor is without hard labor, a felony conviction is with or without hard labor. I'm afraid this might open the door to a legal challenge of every felony conviction in the state of Louisiana, and that's just not a can of worms that I'm wanting to well, open right now. I, I, well, I've actually run this by some criminal justice people and uh, uh, some staff members, and they actually agree that that it may not be a slam dunk argument, but it would certainly open the door to bringing challenges uh, to, well, to literally every felony conviction in the state of Louisiana. And I, I get what you're trying to do, but I don't necessarily think this is a can of worms that we need to be opening right now. It's for my niggas in the pen. Shit the beast. All my niggas on lockdown right now. Keep your head up, nigga. Every dog day got a brighter day coming, nigga. Just for all my niggas in Angola. All my niggas saying Quinn all the way back, all the way across the world. Every nigga who locked down, boxed down right now. Just for y'all. This one for my niggas who gone and reminiscing. The times and dangerous and how long they gon' be sitting. The parties and old bitches. Them running with those snitches. Left cold with those memories in prison. Ah, dip for my people, dip for them gangs. God, please let them come home and forgive all them wrongs right now. I lost the one dependency now. God, please let them come home and for the ones that I miss, yeah. tell them we need them. This will be D, legit. AJ and Marquis yelling, FFC holding my street. B-L-O-O-D, yelling, Damu, Billy Blood, Pyro. This for them trees. But on me, B-H-B, this for them hoovers who got shooters throwing seats. And I've been traumatized, yeah. so please just leave me alone. I know you heard he be the murder like Ike Turner. And I apologize for real. if he bleed because the gang fucked the most. Make Buddha serve him, yelling, it's murder when we swerve and beat. 
beat. Of course, they beat 500 P's inside a Jeep. They be like, how that look? This fella smoke who just got robbed and caught a body. What? He don't play by the book. This a hot boy who took that L. Cause bro had ready. Hope they zip him up. If he was here, he would slang up. Tell him, Mike, you got that time for nothing. This one for my niggas who gone and reminiscing. The times are dangerous. And how long they gon' be sitting. The parties and old bitches. Them running with those snitches. Left cold with those memories in prison. Ah, dip for my peace, dip for them gangs. God, please let them come home and forgive all them wrong right now. I lost the ones in penitentiary now. God, please let them come home and forgive all them wrong. If it live moving fleet, can you forgive him, God? They was 15. If it live on the bean in the lean, he got an L, cause she was 16. Help him, Lord, please. Help him all free. Then for my cousin, Lil Foo Foo. He in the back throwing doodle. Gang. Then for BG in the feds, holding his head. Gang. This for Kentucky Street Joe. All them niggas I left on the road. Gang. All them niggas who work in the field. Gang. All them niggas who died on the wall. Pony cat. I was in that same place where they had phone I was a river rat. They don't lock down, tripping, bitch. Fuck it, send it back. Move plenty back. Take my rap sheet through the ball, fat mouth and shit talk. Concerts with the lights off. Free Joe's to the deal walk. Free Jerron, nigga T out, out. Ain't no more free plays, play free. And she murdered me so much to me. So please let him come home. This one for my niggas who gone and reminiscing. The times are dangerous. And how long they gonna be sitting? The parties and old bitches. Them running with those snitches. Left cold with those memories and prison. Ah, dip for my peace, dip for them gangs. God, please let them come home and forgive all them wrong right now. I lost the ones in penitentiary now. God, please let them come home and forgive all them wrongs. I lost. God, please let them come home. I feel them, they just wanna go home. Just wanna go home. For every nigga who Locked in the cell and got put under the jail. I'ma keep giving hope. They reminisce. They people miss. Just need a call on the phone. They need a visit. Hugs and kisses. They just wanna go home. Abolition. 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 You just heard Louisiana Representative Alan Seaboss comments on the exception clause, and that was followed up by Boosie Badass and Mo3, my people in prison. And uh, shout out to uh, Mo3. We all know that he was shot and killed on November 11th in 2020. Uh, I'll pass it to you uh, first, Curtis. Uh, any thoughts on the track? I mean, oh, first <laughs> it was a direct, all, uh, direct relation to let, you, so. <laughs> let me say this. Um, I know Bootsy, and I know Mo3. I've done the last track. I executive produced the last track with Mo3 and TD Mr. Fox 5 for eight traps. So when y'all get a chance, go to YouTube, check out eight traps. The song is called The Jungle. You understand? Mo3 was a prodigy. He was going to be something very, very special. But, you know, we don't control life and death. And, you know, right. it happens right. and it does what it do. But I love that brother. And I love Boosie. You know, we're trying to get Boosie, Kevin Gates, um, Scarface, and Bum B to do a benefit concert to bring greater awareness to the slave issue. 
right? Because they've all been a part of this system. And this is important to get our young people, especially the ones with platforms, to let the other brothers and sisters understand that this is the issue that makes it almost impossible for us to rise. And we wonder why in every city across the United States of America, you see young black boys with their pants hanging off their ass, um, unable to communicate properly, unable to do math with the math anxieties and so forth and so on. So we need to use this um, cultural phenomenon as hip hop to try to bring our people back to the center some kind of way because we use hip hop to bring them into the margins along with the white supremacy apparatus, right? So I'm glad you that you guys gave Boosie and them a shout out. Um, Boosie has to get more um, political consciousness and use his platform for what he needs to use it for. So we're going to reach out to him and make sure, and we might be able to even get him on the show. So um, let's think about that. But at the same time, the New York guys, man, the poets, um, you know, the Maxes, the Max, what's your mentor name from the last poet? That brother right there helped me through the struggle, just understanding how to process this, this N word. You understand what I'm saying? How to deal with mm. what we're dealing with. So, man, you guys, man, you're beautiful. Understand that first. And know that when we do abolition, that slavery is not a place. It is not a prison. It is not a plantation. It is a condition of life, right? So, legally, when you are sentenced to a crime, duly convicted of a crime, you undergo what is called social death, right? You no longer have the same benefits in law that the average American citizen has, and that is the main purpose that we are removing the slavery exception clause from not just the 13th Amendment on with Senator Merkel um, of Oregon, but from every state constitution that allows marginalization, discrimination, and subjecting people to substandard um, American, because this is what this is about. And most of the time, it's targeted towards melanated people. Max? The opening of that was the testimony from Alan Seaball. Right after you had told him about your lived experiences, as well as what you knew to be a fact in regards to slavery. But he danced circles around Representative Jordan and manipulated the hell out of him. And unfortunately, you mm -hmm. know, no disrespect, but Jordan just was not prepared for these races as white people. He just he wasn't as serious about it as they were. Um, and so they beat him on the head with it. And you can see how they were very much concerned with the ability to sentence you to hard labor. Uh, that is a very important thing to the legislators of Alabama, I mean, of Louisiana, Alabama too, but of Louisiana specifically. Uh, so, and you heard uh, Representative Jordan just in the way he was talking. He really didn't have it together. He was half-assing it, and you can't half-ass this issue. We're talking about genocide and slavery. If you're going in thinking it's anything less than that, you're going in wrong. You're thinking about the wrong thing, uh, you know? Because the body count. Did you guys pay attention to how condescending? Seaball was to Jordan, yeah. though. Do you right. know what this, uh, Jordan is a lawyer. 
They know that he's a lawyer. You asked him, did you know what which word meant? Ladder. He asked him, do you know what ladder means? <laughs> yeah. You understand what I'm saying? That was so condescending. But he, the fact that Jordan wouldn't stand up for himself means that we are not obligated to stand up for him for that. You understand? And they're still treating these um, house Negroes, if that's what you want to call them, as though they're something lesser than as well. And they're buying into this, whether they're representatives or senators. Um, they don't look at them as colleagues. They look at them as underlings. And that's the part we have to fight against. This year, we're going to go with a white woman to present and sponsor our bill for the um, aesthetics of it, right? And um, I don't know what you guys might think of that. I hope that it's more than aesthetics. I hope that she comes fully prepared uh, to deal with this situation as it deserves to be dealt with so that it's no longer viewed as some kind of symbolic gesture, which is what they're trying to make it look like, a symbolic gesture. Uh, And we get that question all the time, right? Isn't changing the wording in the Constitution just symbolic? But that's the wrong damn question. You should be instead asking if those exception clauses are symbolic, because if they ain't symbolic, then removing them certainly ain't symbolic either. And we know those exception clauses are not symbolic because that's the reason why six to 10 million people can't vote right now, because they lost all their rights by becoming state property, slaves. Uh, Curtis? Right. And oh, Yusuf, sorry. I mean, Yusuf, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say on the heels of that, that this is why we have people that are sitting in solitary confinement and people that have been stripped of their release dates, they've been stripped of their visits, they've been stripped of their commissary for refusing to be forced to work, you know, or just people that are just sitting there uh, laying on a prison bed somewhere, and just the mere fact that they're on that bed, that makes them valuable on the New York Stock Exchange. So it's definitely not symbolic. People are making money hand over fist through this system. It's a multi-billion dollar business, about $182 billion of the last estimates I've seen. So that's not symbolic. That's $182 billion. Uh, and that's hurting. not even the total cost. That's just the cost spent by the U.S. government. That's not counting the industry nor the families, what they spend uh, being extorted, or the inmates, what they spend being right. extorted. Think about it, yeah, the defender's licenses that, we're, that they're getting to sell us top ramen noodle soup for a dollar and fifty cent that costs twenty cent every grocery store in the United States of America. But think about this: when you think about slavery and connecting it to prisons, right? If you um, order a car from Avis and you talk to a, a telemarketing representative that's going to process the call for you, you're talking to an inmate. At that time, you're talking to somebody right. that's actually in prison, right? So Avis doesn't have to hire the free person that is out here in this world for a, a fee of, of $15 an hour. That person is making $0.75 cent an hour or maybe even $0.10 cent an hour to process these rental car things. And it goes to Whole Foods. It goes to McDonald's. It goes to whoever might get beef products, um, sewing products. Microsoft, computer chips. We're talking about real serious economic shifts that could change 
the whole of America, giving good jobs to people out here that deserve it with benefits. These companies are multi-billion dollar companies that are paying cents to get labor. And one thing that you might, our listeners really, really need to know, my brother personally was at a fire camp called Tehachapi in California. And every time you see these wildfires, at the front line of these wildfires are inmates from fire camps that are fighting these fires. They're dying in these fires, and the actual firefighters are at about 100 yards behind them. That's a football field. So the hottest places, they're putting inmates against their will, or you could call it, you know, you're going to work, you're going to do this, and they got gun guards behind them to make sure that they don't escape. So if you got a man with a gun saying, fight this fire or I'm going to shoot you, right? And this person dies. You never hear CNN or Rachel Maddow or any of them on in, um, NBC talking about, man, we just lost 38 inmates firefighters trying to save property from some people who don't give a damn about them. You understand? If they were doing this in China or Afghanistan, we would be talking about it as humanitarian rights issues. But we're doing this in the United States of America. And a fun fact, Yusuf and Max, once they get out of prison, they cannot be firefighters because they have a felony. Speak on it. And it's even dirtier than that. The way they do these brothers and sisters out there, you know, they were working – firefighting with the promise that every time they would fight an active fire, they would get like a day off of their sentence, and they were also getting up to $2 a day for their labor, while their supervisors who were not incarcerated were getting six digits. They were getting $2 a day, like you said, up in the front where the fire is at. Um, And then during these recent spates of major fires in California, they were told that they couldn't leave if their sentence had already come up. With the bonus time that they'd accrued, they wouldn't allow them to leave because they still needed them as firefighters. How in the hell could you say that to somebody with a straight face? We own you. We know what we told you, but you can't go nowhere because there's a fire, and we just don't want to come out of our pockets to pay actual fire people, so you're it. That's basically what they did to them. And if you remember Kamala Harris uh, some years ago, when addressed with the situation of the firefighters in California, uh, she, her office said that they could not afford to pay the $1 billion in salaries that would cost every year if they actually paid firefighters at a minimum wage for those who were doing it. So instead, they would continue to just use slave labor at $2 a day, promising them a day, a day off. It's a very dirty uh, system and the people behind it. It's so dirty that in Louisiana, just what they did to Bobby Sneed recently is an example of it. Right, Curtis? Um brother was jailed for 47 freaking years. They finally gave him parole, and before he even got out, they violated this elderly man in his 70s on parole. They violated his parole before he ever saw a day of freedom. How do you even do that? He was sick, uh, fell out, and they accused him of having a drug overdose. Accused him of it. Uh, There was no proof that it happened, but they'd rather see him die in prison. They did the same thing with the Angola 3 with Albert Woodfox and Robert King mm-hmm. and Herman Wallace. And remember how they did Herman Wallace? They waited till he was dying of cancer. And then they let right. him out, what was it, a week, 
two weeks for him to die. Uh, and Albert Woodbox spent 43 years in solitary confinement. How can you do that to a human being? Put them in a cage by themselves for 43 years straight. Uh, Curtis? This is true. Um, Bobby Sneed was one of my mentors. He has one of the, the brightest legal minds in the world. And I know for a fact that he doesn't use drugs, but he does have diabetes and he does have high blood pressure. And he goes in what's called diabetic coma, um, a lot from not being able to um, have access to the proper levels of insulin as well as, um, like, snacks. You have to always eat as a diabetic, but not a whole lot. You understand what I'm saying? When you're in prison, you just cannot get the proper um, stuff that you need. Wood Fox, um, King, um, Hermit, these guys were dangerous as far as how their minds worked and the institutions didn't want to let them influence any of us younger guys. I went to prison at 21 years old. I came out at 47. So if, um, because I was involved in academics, I was able to move around the prison and had the opportunity to meet these beautiful minds. You understand what I mean? And when I, when I think about what was done, and I think about understanding that those issues as crimes against humanity, it gives me the energy to continue to on my own dollar. Most of, I don't get paid for this stuff. I get paid for my book. You understand what I'm saying? But people think I'm making grand theft money out here fighting against the United States. But I've been audited <laughs> three times since I've been home in five years. You understand? Hmm. The, when, you're, when you're an activist that actually gets stuff done, they're going to get you. I've been threatened um, to be drugs to be planted on me by law enforcement apparatuses. We moved $238 million away from the Department of Corrections back into hospitals and schools. And a lot of people lost a lot of money as a result of that. And I didn't really understand the ramifications that I would be marginalized even further and I would be threatened, and I would have to really be careful, and my family would have to really be careful as a result of doing this work. And I want to talk to Yousef and Max. Do you guys get threatened about this work? Remember when we opened the show, I just mentioned that my mentee had been murdered only a, a couple weeks after he went on national television talking about this. I've gotten death threats. They've attempted to burn down my house. They tried to kidnap my children. They've accused my wife of being a prostitute. They've accused me of being a drug dealer. They sent dices to my house to take my, my babies away. Uh, they froze my accounts. You name it, we have been through it over here. And I'm still here, still talking. And this goes on across the board because, I mean, when we take Dennis Feeble in New Jersey, who's the uh, the, the co-chair of uh, state operations and how he was starting to get letters from the FBI and from uh, the GEO group, you know, the one of the large uh, private prison contractors, getting letters directly from them trying to thwart uh, re, uh, adding anti-slavery legislation in New Jersey. And these type of, these type of things are going on all over the country, you know, so uh, – mm-hmm. Between yes, it's definitely happening. Between 2014 and 2000, and 
2018, we saw about $15 billion be lost by the private prison industry behind divestment programs that we were helping to support across the country. We saw the first universities that were uh, divested with Columbia University, where Yusuf is at right now working every day. Uh, they were the first ones to divest, and then eventually entire cities uh, like Seattle divested from their contracts mm-hmm. with for-profit private prisons. And we even eventually saw a bill come out, the Justice is Not for Sale Act, which was sponsored by Senator Sanders of Vermont, which have, would have made, if it had been passed, for-profit private prisons illegal in the United States and given them two years to pack up their crap and go. Um, that bill is still in play. Hopefully one day it will be passed. Yeah, uh, you don't do that to you, – you don't become a threat to literally white supremacy and not get their attention. And we've gotten their attention. Uh, Curtis, is, uh, the things that we're doing right now is a major threat to them. You heard them say it themselves. This is the most dangerous bill we see come through here. If we let this slide, it's going to put every felony in the entire state uh, has to be reviewed. And what's wrong with that? If you're in a state that is using prison for profit – and it's race-based, where you've got over 70% of your inmates are black people, then what's wrong with reviewing your books? What's wrong with auditing you just like they audited Curtis? Curtis? Yes, sir. Sir? Yes. Can can you guys hear me? Okay. Yes. Um, That's a tactic, you know what I'm saying? Just um, as far as the audit is concerned, I, I mean, I don't want an actual job because they would fire me for the political activity. I want to be able to tell the truth, to say the things that need to be said in order to um, trick the conscience of people, right? So they, they're like, you always talk race. Well, it's not about race. And then um, it is about race because 30% of the state of Louisiana is African-American. Um, about 6% of the state of Louisiana is African-American males that are of age to go to prison, right? So think about this. 87% of the prison system is African-American. Think about mm. that. That cannot happen mm. by happenstance. That has right. to be a design, right? Coming so from that 6% of the population. I have to Speak on it, bro. And we know the black codes. We know the design. We know the non-unanimous juries were designed to be able to easily convict us. So somebody has to do this. And even if it means my life, I have no choice. Well, right. You know, I think I think it's uh, Yusuf. Go ahead. Who's gonna say? Oh, I was just going to say, you know, we have a regular caller into the show who's, you know, currently in Angola prison. And, you know, we haven't heard from him in a few weeks. Curtis knows. You know, so, right. And, you know, we wonder about him because he was the one that was reporting to us during the pandemic when they were being forced at gunpoint to go out into the fields and work during a pandemic. And, you know, the conditions that they were living under during that time. You know, so we we know that it really goes on down there, and uh, we, you know, this is why we constantly talk about Louisiana. I don't think there's any state that we talk about more on this program than Louisiana, and it's or Angola prison in itself. 
Like, it's probably the most talked about prison, and Louisiana is definitely the most talked about state because it's clearly the prison capital of the world. Um, I mean, Angola is probably the most famous prison in the world. If you guys remember, um, in what was it, Corsica, the island that was under um, um, France, um, that was Devil's Island. It was the place that you sent. It was a penal colony, and you sent the, the the felons of France to go there in order to die. Angola is actually a replica of it. It was made for it. Louisiana is the new France. So the Napoleonic laws, the only state with parishes. We don't have common law like the rest of you guys. This is a crazy situation, bro. It's almost like entering the twilight zone of law. Right? <laughs> it's just, you know, if you want to really learn something, study this. And was, uh, Angola, okay. last point, Max, I was just going to say Angola sits on 18,000 acres of land. Just That's bigger than Manhattan. Yep. Yeah, bigger than the island of New York, Manhattan, New York. So think yep. about that. It's a city. And so, you know, you go there. Right. 95% of the people that go there never leave. Mm. And they have these fields and plantations out there that make enough produce to feed, feed every prison in that state. Uh, we're brothers who are out there working in these fields day in and day out. Uh, that's a big issue for them, as we heard with Representative Seaball, uh, the prison labor. It gets even deeper. So I want to play another clip, uh, which is the testimony from the hearing that we had on removing the exception clause. This time, we're going to hear comments from Representative Johnson and Representative Marino, both who voted to keep slavery legal in the state of Louisiana. And we're going to pair that up with Lil Wayne's God Bless America. Listening to Abolition Before you Day. go, my phone may right. go dead, man, and I'm going to get to a charger right now. All right, brother. Okay. Uh, we're going to follow that up with Lil Wayne, God Bless America. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Yusuf Hassan and Max Parthas. Our guest today is author, activist, abolitionist, formerly incarcerated, Curtis Davis. We'll be right back after this. Abolition Today. Thank you, Representative Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Representative Jordan, you're a very skilled legislator. I've learned a lot from you. I don't know, but 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 I appreciate that. Words but mean not. things. But you, sir, this is set up in such a way that I'm afraid, I worry that if someone, if you were to disagree and vote against this bill, it might appear to some that a vote no would be a vote yes for slavery. That's certainly not your intent. That's certainly not, not what would be perceived accurately, would it? No, that's not my intent, you know. Um you know, you know. I tell, I tell you what, I'm sure that's not your intent, but I don't know if that wouldn't be the impact about that. And you know, and I'm joking slightly, I know. but I know. But and I mean that as a compliment to I you. Know, right. so, um, I mean the law, and 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 I I appreciate where you're going, but you know this is being billed as an anti-slavery bill. Well, everybody up here, I would hope, is anti-slavery. anti-slavery. Uh, my mind's filled with minefields The ashes fall, the wine spills The world stops, drops, and rolls 
It's judgment day off I drill yeah. I pour out my heart, have a drink They say the drunk, never lie, they ain't never lying yeah. My country tis a thief Sweet land, just kill them all and let them die God bless America uh, This old God bless America Her tomorrow ain't promised today The end of time is like an hour away Damn, military minded Lost and can't find it the Stars on the flag are never shining uh, I saw a butterfly in hell today Will I die or go to jail today? Cause I live by the sword Die by the sword, her police is looking for me. I'ma hide by a broad, shoot the stars in my pocket. Bitchin' on my rocket, I'm wired off the socket. But still shocking, everybody wanna tell me what I need. You can play a role in my life, but not the lead. If there's food for thought, then I'm guilty of greed. Mama said, take what you want, I took heed. Yeah. Girl, and she's so sweet, got cavities Granted, we do it for vanity, not humanity But what's appealing to me is under banana trees, love I go so hard, I tried to pay homage But I was overcharged, ain't that a bitch I'm just a nut trying to bust a nut in a nutshell Used to say fuck the police, now I say fuck jail uh, Same shit, different air freshener I don't play, boy, I ain't you half Trying to be a step ahead, but a few feet behind Two fingers to my head, pop, peace of mind I be in the clouds, cloud number nine And I just fuck the clock and let it come with time It's a cold world, I put on a mink There's a chain of command, I'm the missing link Yeah, God bless America this old godless America I heard tomorrow ain't promised today And I'm smoking on the flowers Catch the bouquet And we live by the soul Die by the soul Her police looking for me I'ma hide by a broad Shooting stars in my pocket Bitching on my rocket I'm wired out the socket But still shocking everybody Butterfly in hell today. Will I die or go to jail today?
obviously we really like to hear from the Department of Corrections on what they think the impact of of that would be. Because um, I had not even thought about that, what, what that means about whether or not that, that means you can sentence people to hard labor if we remove it. I mean, I'd, I'd just, I would really like to hear what their reaction to that is or what their opinion of that is. Um, I would, too. Right. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Man, who gives up? <laughs> Y'all lucky my mother is listening. <laughs> Get back to Abolition Today with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan with our guest, Curtis Davis. That was a clip of uh, LA, uh, Louisiana reps Mike Johnson and Joseph Marino, and that was followed up by Lil Wayne's God Bless America. You know, I'm 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 vexed by that last portion right there, Max and Curtis. You know, so y'all have to excuse man. me, man. These conversations are the same we had in the 1800s, man. It's precisely, exactly the same. That you, they're worried about how much money they're gonna lose if they're not allowed to lose use slavery anymore. They even contacted the ASNN with that crap, talking about uh, the Republicans will not support the bill unless we can tell them how much money they're going to lose. And when they say how much money they're going to lose in the Department of Justice, Department of Correction, is how much will they lose if people say, no, Master, I refuse to work today. Brother Curtis? Uh, he might be charging up, so we'll give him a minute or two. Uh, his mic is open whenever you're ready. Come on back in. Uh, I'll pass it to you then, Yusuf. Yeah, so uh, just about that exchange when uh, Joseph Marino asked Mike Johnson, you know, you're not saying that if a person votes no, that they're voting to keep slavery. I mean, that was his opportunity to make it clear and unequivocal and unambiguous that, yes, if you vote no, you are saying, I want to keep slavery legal in the state of Louisiana. That was his opportunity. That was his opportunity right there and he let that opportunity pass. You know, I don't I don't I don't know uh Mike Johnson. I don't know his uh efforts that was put into it. I did hear that he put good efforts into it, but there comes a critical moment in every type of movement, even, you know, in a game, anything, there's a there's always that critical moment and that was it right there. That was the critical exactly. moment, Max. That was the point where he had, you know, Representative Jordan had leverage. He could have very simply and calmly said, yes, this is a bill to end slavery, which is legal in our state constitution. And if you vote no, it means you're voting yes to keep that slavery legal. Uh, no argument. That's just a fact, sir. Now, you go ahead and tell me what you were going to say. But no, not only did he say no, it doesn't mean that, when everybody in that room was like, yes, it does mean that, <laughs> who had just testified. Right. But he also had the nerve to say, I'm sure that's not your intent. Like how The man is, the white Republican is standing there telling you he's going to vote no to end slavery. And you're talking about how sure you are of what his intents are. That that was a rough point for everybody watching it, and we were very taken aback by it. Again, this is not something that you can have fast. You've got to be courageous with this. This is an issue right. of crimes against humanity, and if you come out acting like, you know, it's just a bill to get 2% more taxes, uh, that's not the same issues. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
No, right. no. We need to hold people accountable for what choose to do. And if you choose to keep slavery legal, then you, by very definition, are a slavery supporter. Man. Uh, my man, are, are so you back while here, we Curtis? wait for Curtis, yeah, I was going to say, if we while we wait for Curtis to get back, we can jump into here. some news stories. Okay, we got I'm him. Sorry, back. one of the um, city council lady just called. I was like, oh my god, you messing with my radio show. But it's so good. Remember, in doing this work though, they also respect it. You know what I'm saying? When you're a real grassroots advocate or activist or um, you in the struggle for real, they know they're like, oh, he not for play, huh? I can't be bought out. Um, I want the best people in office that's gonna. Think about what we're doing because this is not the only thing that I do on Brother Yusef and Max. We are a, more of a human rights organization, and slavery is the number one issue. If we can remove this slavery exception clause in any state that is being removed in, it takes away the incentives to continuously um, lock us up on the levels that they're doing because now the money is not there, Right. But it also has long-term effects because now you can't discriminate. You can't just get me in your prison and start talking stupid to me, calling me me the N-word. You know, call it, um, there was one lady that worked um, in Angola prison, and she came to my um, my bed, and I had six pairs of shoes, and you can only have three. Right. And she said, I'm going to write you up. And she knew I was going back to court and it would hurt me unless I perform cunnilingus on her. Right. And what? This is the type of stuff I'm talking about. Man. You understand? This is the type of stuff, bro. And you really can't sue for that. No sexual harassment can come from that because it costs too much. And if you make two cents an hour, you can't afford to wage a $10,000 war. You understand what I'm saying? You have right. to pick your battles in those situations, and they know it, right? So we take the slavery exception clause away. Now the rest of the constitutional amendments start to apply to us, and we have those protections to where an 18-year-old white boy from um, Laughing Barrel, Mississippi, can't come to work for his first time and start just beating on Negroes. Because that's how they feel about it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, man, I got a chance to do power. I can use power, right? And um, I don't know if you guys know about the Stanford Prison Project experiment. Yes, of course. Um, course. Right, but we know that when people access power, they usually abuse it. Just a natural way that human beings act. And I have been abused. And I don't want this process to continue, even though I'm free and probably could go make millions writing screenplays right now. You understand? But I want to do this, and then my time will come. That makes sense? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And you, you touched on a good point when you talked about, you know, slavery is so universal or the – the uh, prohibition against it that I'm getting a massive feedback from somewhere. But the UN has declared inside of the Universal Declaration 
of human rights in Article 4. They made it clear where they said no one shall be held in slavery or servitude. Slavery and the slave trade shall be prohibited in all their forms. And they go on to say in Section 5, no one shall be subjected to the torture or to cruel, inhumane, or inhuman or degrading treatment or punishment. So this is on the worldwide stage of the UN, and this is why uh, we know that the U.S. is in violation of Article 4 and Article 5 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. This is why uh, we charge genocide. What was what was the name of that group that actually found the United States guilty of genocide and human rights violations, Max? Uh, Spirit of Mandela. Spirit of Mandela. Exactly. Brother Tag Harmon and his comrades and allies that he's working with out there. Brother, I got to get to a charger. My phone is about to die. Uh, All right, all right. Well, we'll cover a couple news uh, stories in the meantime. Let us know when you get back, okay? We got about 20. We got about 20 more. And I want to give you a chance to, you know, give information before we close the show out. All right. Yes, sir. Um, Thank you. So what he was saying, you know, about the, this ignorance and this power just reminded me again of Baldwin, that ignorance allied with power is the most ferocious enemy justice can have. And we are talking about real ignorance. And, you know, they tell you that ignorance of the law is no excuse. Ignorance of the Constitution is no excuse either or for anyone. Those are the right. supreme laws of the land. Because uh, you don't know them doesn't mean that they don't apply. And it's a shame that a lot of our law enforcement officials don't even know their constitutional rights. You're supposed to be the one defending them. Soldiers, too. Politicians, too. Anybody that swears an oath to defend the Constitution of the United States of America, and you don't even know what's in the damn thing. You ain't even read it. You have no idea. So you know how that's going to turn out. You end up being the one who is violating the very rights that you you have sworn to protect, you damn oath-breakers. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just saying, because that's what you are, an oathbreaker. And even if it's not you, if it's people in your department, if it's people in your ranks and files, it's still the same thing. If you're watching it happen and you're not doing anything about it, then how are you defending the rights in the Constitution? You mean you only get to defend them when it comes to people you pick and choose. Well, that kind of society is not a democracy. Just saying. You know, Max. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just saying, go ahead. No, go ahead, man. Get Listen, you know I love when you rant, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I want to share the mic with but you. It's brother. not go really ahead. a rant. It's not really a rant, but I, I like when you go off because a lot comes out of it. You know, I was looking at some of the news mm-hmm. stories and just keeping in line with Louisiana. You know, we see Louisiana's Legislative Black Caucus is requesting the removal of Republican State Rep. Ray Garofalo as chair of the House Education Committee, House Education Committee, after Garofalo's comments about slavery Tuesday went viral. It says the debate over Garofalo's bill that would ban the teaching of systemic racism known as critical race theory, race theory the Calmet representative indicated there may have been good components about slavery before quickly walking his comments back. Do you know of any good components of slavery, Max? Um, 
hell no. Not just no, but hell no. Uh, right. There were no happy slaves and no good components of slavery. If you brainwash a person by brutalizing them for generations and they smile at you, that, that does not mean that you have a happy slave. It means you have a broken person. Exactly. So, yeah, he's out there in Louisiana. He's one of the people that was, you know, saying, we don't want you to teach about slavery. While we're actually fighting uh, to get bills passed to end slavery in that state. I wonder if there's a connection there. Hmm. This is why we still argue to this day in some circles about whether or not the Civil War was over slavery. Because everything else was going on at the same time. But what was at the very heart of it, according to their own writing? Slavery. Same thing today. Over and over well, let's, again. Let's talk about a connection. So there's this address of George Williamson. He was the commissioner from Louisiana, and this was uh, what he said to the Texas Succession Convention. And it says, Louisiana looks to the formation of a southern confederacy to preserve the blessings of African slavery and of the free institutions of the founders of the Federal Union bequest to their posterity. And this was his address to the Louisiana-Texas uh, Succession Convention, February 11th, 1861. And he was the commissioner of the state of Louisiana, city, and this was in the city of Austin, Texas. So, again, he wants to preserve the blessings of African slavery. Any thoughts on that, Max? Uh, well, you know, if somebody could burn in hell, it'd be a good place to start, you know. <laughs> they got that uh, statue out here that says it's a dedication to the slaves that defended the southern borders against northern invasion, and they celebrate them. Again, uh, you know, when the people that was following Jim Jones was drinking Kool-Aid, uh, you know, they were happy about it, but People on the outside was like, y'all are crazy. You've been, bam- you've been fooled. And that's what happened to them. Generations after generations of brutalizing and rape and all these different things that go with it uh, to create what they became. You know, it's a miracle if any of us ever escaped this. None of us were meant to escape mentally from this, uh, this indoctrination. It was supposed to be foolproof. And many will never escape from this mental prison that they find themselves in, uh, indoctrinated but with lies uh, and falsehoods and myths about the status of things. But those that do, it's a miracle. Consider yourself, if you're listening to this show today, you are a miracle. Because <laughs> it's against right. all odds that you should have figured this out. You should have never figured it out. You should have never heard about it. It was not something that they meant for you to understand. It's why they hid it for so long, why they never celebrated the end of slavery, why there was never a national holiday about it, why they didn't even want to discuss it in the schools or the classrooms or the courtrooms. As we showed you a couple weeks ago, the court cases showed that the United States set this up on purpose so they couldn't be held responsible without their permission. Think about that. You can't be held responsible for slavery without their permission to be held responsible. And the exception clause was never meant to be held over the state performing slavery. It was only meant for the individual, to prosecute the individual doing slavery, not the state. 
they made themselves immune to this. What did you call it? Uh, sovereign immunity? Sovereign immunity. That sovereign was it. immunity. And they, you, know, you can only sue them unless they allow you to sue them. That's it. And that, that is like insanity. Like, how is that even possible? And here we are today where we see people rising up against vaccine mandates, rising up uh, against mask mandates. We have uh, literally seen an insurrection at the White House where bodies are dropping and they built a real, legit, uh, uh, what is that called there? Uh, the gallows. The hangman's loose. They, they built a real, legit gallows and was looking for the vice president. And he had only just escaped by seconds uh, before they got up in there. Uh, we found out that a lot of these politicians was in on it. Uh, they went out and they falsified uh, being electorates for the states across like a half a dozen states. They went out and tried to seize voting machines. They tried to corrupt governors uh, into just making up 11,000 votes out of thin air. Uh, and this committee is uncovering all of this, and, and we we see that, you know, and we think to ourselves, trust this system? <laughs> Are you crazy? It's filled with slavers and sociopaths. Why should we be trusting it? Uh, but we're watching this, and people see this happening, and they believe it's true, but they won't believe that they'll go as far as to practice slavery. They've been doing that. Been doing that. You said right. <laughs> So what do you think it is? Uh, oh, my God. I can't believe this one, Max. State Bill 666 might legalize lynching in Missouri. Um, you know, I haven't read this bill, uh, so I, I could only comment on what I heard, and that would be hearsay. But the hearsay mm -hmm. has been pretty much very powerful. Um, people are saying that this will, uh, from what I understand, the way it's set up, and what has been explained is that if you commit murder and you say it's self-defense, you cannot be arrested at that point. You have to be uh, judged innocent until proven guilty as far as uh, whether or not it was self-defense. So somebody like a George Zimmerman would have had that to stand on. It's the Southern version or a even worse version of the stand your ground laws. So you can't even be prosecuted if you simply say, I did it in self-defense. Well, who's the witness? He's dead. Oh, well, there you go. I guess you're innocent. That's how Bill 666 is supposed to work from what I've been informed. Yusuf. Right. And so I'm reading the uh, Kansas City Star, and it's an article written by Toriano Porter on February 3rd, and it's entitled, Missouri Republicans' Bill Will Give Killers Immunity If They Just Claim Self-Defense. And so it says, let's call Missouri Senate Bill 666 what it is. State approves violence, the Make Murder Legal Act, as Dan Peterson, president of the Missouri Association of Prosecuting Attorneys, calls it. This is a prosecutor calling it that. Uh, here's his proposed law. This was, this was brought on by State Senator Eric Burleson, a Republican lawmaker from near Springfield, and he wants to give qualified immunity to suspected murderers. The proposed law says a person who uses or threatens to use force in self-defense is immune from criminal prosecution and civil action for the use of such force unless such force was used against a law enforcement officer, 
who was acting in the performance of his or her official duties, and the person reasonably knew or should have known that the person was a law enforcement order. So it's basically saying <laughs> everyone's fair game except cops. And Burlington believes it's okay for a person to use physical or deadly force by simply fearing for their life, a presumption of reasonableness, as Bill calls it. The proposed law prohibits police from even detaining those suspected of violence. In effect, killers would be rewarded. And it says he's not the only supporter. The measure is already advanced to the Missouri Senate Transportation and Public Safety Committee. And the article continues on with more information on that. But, yeah, I just fear it for my life. Well, what was he doing? Remember. He was just sitting in his car. He was just sitting in the car reading the book, but I just didn't like how he was doing it. So I was fearful of him. Missouri is a dangerous place. Right. It wasn't there recently. Wasn't it recently a travel advisory to the the Uh, state of Missouri? There's a lot more than that. As a matter of fact, that's where I got one of my death threats from. When my wife and I went out there to receive a humanitarian award from Missouri Cure. And they sent me an email from the Police uh, Benefits Association uh, saying that if I came out there talking about anti-cop stuff, I'd end up going home in a box. Well, I came out there, I uh, got my award. I spoke of, just like I'm speaking right now, uh, met the representative out there and had a wonderful conversation with him. He publicly called it the same thing I was calling it. And we went home after that. Uh, fortunately, you know, I feel like God has blessed me because he's the only protection that we have at this point. We don't have no guards or nothing like that. Um, but, Missouri is the place where we just had the uprisings over Mike Brown. In addition Mm -hmm. to that, they were the same place that made it a federal or a felony to have a schoolyard fight. So grammar school children could be charged with felonies. Uh, They also were the same place where we found out that there are counties in there that have more warrants for arresting people. Like, how in the hell? Uh, The attorney general came to Missouri and said that the police were being used as uh, revenue generators uh, out there. So, you know, there's a lot happening. And then what you just mentioned is that the NAACP issued a travel warning for the entire state in regards to the racism that is occurring in the state of Missouri. And it's the first time they've ever issued anything like that. So that was just 2017 and 18. They never took that warning away. Missouri is only getting worse. Right. And so they said that they want to aggressively enforce and illuminate that travel advisory, warning people of color, is what they say in the article, warning people of color of the dangers of traveling in Missouri. And last time I checked, Missouri was not a southern state. It's not just Missouri either. Recently in California, in Shasta County, uh, basically white supremacists, a literal militia, took over the government of the entire county. They had some millionaire, billionaire come in and fund them for a recall and got rid of the Republican opposition that they have and now have installed their members throughout all of the government. So you literally have white supremacists in control of the government of an entire county called Shasta County in California. Black people do not go to Shasta County, California. Uh, I heard one of the people talking who is an ex- uh, military man, which many of them are, ex-military with current contacts in the military, and he clearly stood up and explained how 
uh, the talking time is nearly done, and at any moment they start going to start killing people. Um, you know, they're going to start taking people's lives. They said they didn't talk enough, and it's not going to be pretty, and it's not going to be a bunch of speeches. None of that. You ain't going to expect it. It's just going to happen, and suddenly it's going to be a bunch of people dead. They're saying this in public now, and they're taking over an entire county. They got a state, an entire state, with warnings for people of color not to travel through it. When are we right now? Is this 2022 or is it 18 2022? I'm trying to figure it out because everything seems it's, to be the same damn thing. Right. History. What it, I always forget His, the saying. History. history is a synonym. It's the same crap smelled differently. There it is. And so. One other thing, you know, we have to bring in our good old buddy Trump because a lot of the stuff that's happening right now, we actually spoke on it back in 2020. This was uh, our Blame the President's episode, and we showed the historical connection that each president had of carrying on the legacy of slavery. But at the same time, under Trump, we see – this uprising and outreach that's going on. And, you know, I'm looking at how you wrote it up and I wish you would read it because, (laughs) you know, you have a certain flair when you read out on certain things. Um, Yeah. Well, you know, it's a poet in me, but I'll definitely share this information. As you said, in 2020, when we did blame the presidents, we issued a warning about what was happening at that time in regards to allowing white people to call black people racist without stopping them uh, because it would cause a lot of problems. And I wrote that uh, in regards to Trump and the Trumpets, the video we put out talking about this in 2020, I said, after a while, I told you so, it loses its luster. We warned of the dangers in allowing racists to place a legitimate claim of reverse racism on black people. You let them say it over and over, unchecked and unopposed. That means you agree with them. Yes, black people can be racist, right? Now they have one of the most powerful demonization tools available. All the venomous cancel culture that groups like the KKK have received over the years be yours to share. Yes, because now you're on equal ground. Your racism is just as bad, if not worse, according to Trump and the Trumpets, as theirs. Pretty soon, they'll start accusing you of lynching them using false comparisons. You'll become the oppressor of the oppressors, meaning they'll have to do something about you and your terrible racism against honest, hardworking white nationalists. The truth doesn't matter in a narrative crafted to justify genocide and slavery. All that's needed is a few dark-skinned faces to agree loudly or silently, and that's what we've been doing. Um, you know, Mark Anthony Hill shouting you out because you do it all the time. You let these white people come up there and talk about how black people are racist, and you don't counter it at all. The same thing with others around you. So now you've given them a weapon to murder you with. And here we are hearing it, with Trump's calling black prosecutors racist. He's the subject of racism. He talks about how white people can't get their vaccine shots because of racism against white people. So how do we end up being the racist in this story? I really would like to know. Yusuf? Yes, and that was 
that was from our Blame the President's episode, and that was uh, season one, episode 19, for our new listeners. Uh, that was that aired on July 19, 2020, and you can catch that on Abolition Today on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any of the other platforms. But you hit the nail on the head, Max. You know, it's always where we have situations where, uh, again, going back to the critical moments when they're supposed to be pushback, and we have people in certain positions who won't uh, perform in those critical moments, and it just continues on, continues on, and continues on, and we see it building up more and more and more and more and more, and people are becoming more and more racist and, and bolder and bolder and bolder in the things that they're doing. You know, it's no longer just the police that are doing things. I mean, it's only going to be you know, you know, it's not going to be much longer before we start hearing about lynch mobs going out there again because it's headed there because that's it's how it's picking up. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. They're, I didn't saying hear you. It out, they're saying it out loud. That's where it's going. And I just explained to you how they're going to justify it because you're the racist. You're the oppressor. Right. You're the reason they ain't got something. Exactly. Um, it's exactly. gotten so bad where you have, where you have Nazis. Out in the streets of Orlando, uh, protesting collectively in the open and attacking people in the open. Nazis, <laughs> you know, and y'all quick to compare everything to Germans Nazi. You never compare anything to America slavery, even though it's still happening. But I want to read a little part of a poem by Brother Langston Hughes, since it is mm-hmm. Black History Month and you are listening to a black program. Brother Langston said, you tell me that Hitler is a mighty bad man. I guess he took his lessons from the Ku Klux Klan, because everything that Hitler and Mussolini do, Negroes get the same treatment from you. I ask you this question, because I want to know how long I got to fight both Hitler and Jim Crow. Langston Hughes, <laughs> Beaumont to Detroit, 1943. So, yeah, yeah that's what right we there. asked. But we're almost at the end of the program, man. So it, It's been quick. It's been fast. I really appreciate having brother uh, Curtis Davis here. I wish that he was here still so he could give uh, information on, you know, what kind of help they need in Louisiana. I'll try to give what I can. Once again, I, I believe on behalf of both myself and Brother Yusuf, right? Uh, thank you, Curtis, Absolutely. for spending some time with us tonight. I know that there are some community crises in your area that you're dealing with simultaneously. Uh, so if you want to help out in decarcerate Louisiana, where he's the director uh Go to decarceratelouisiana.org and feel free to offer your services, make a, a donation of funding so that they can get this slavery clause out of the Louisiana State Constitution. And also keep your eye on the ASNN because on February 26th, we're having our quarterly, and you do not want to miss this. Every three months, we get all of the representatives together, the state reps, the federal reps, and I said before, we're going to have the descendants of Harriet Tubman, Booker T. Washington, and Frederick Douglass all there. So make sure that you res- uh, RSVP as soon as possible. And invite all your friends. Let's make this a moment no one will ever forget. I want to thank everybody for listening today. Um, it's been a, a powerful program, and I'm looking forward to these final segments. Yusuf? Also, uh, 
in thanking uh, Brother Curtis for being on this evening. Uh, if you get the opportunity, go to Amazon or go to any any place where you purchase your books. His book, again, is called Slave State, Evidence of Apartheid in America. That's Curtis Ray Davis, Slave State, Evidence of Apartheid in America. Show the brother some support. Pick up a copy of his book. It comes in various forms, so definitely want to do that. Uh, we have... Yeah, I really wish he was here to close out. I just love speaking to the brother. Uh, yeah, I do want to share something with people before we go. We're going to have an extended show. Uh, it, you'll, you won't hear it if you're listening now online. You will hear it live if you're called in to 515-605-9814, 515-605-9814. It's just a few minutes extra. It'll show up on the replay. But I do want to play a track dedicated to Muyadeen. Baja. So right after sure. our Bridging the Gap segment, that's when our show officially ends, but we'll have just that little extra for him today in memory of Brother Muyadeen Debaha. All right. So our closing, yeah, I'll just get into our closing segment. We want to first thank our sponsors and partners. That's Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the I Am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, FEMA Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Abolished Slavery National Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash abolition today. That page has all the news, information, and music you hear on the program. Once again, we're also available on all major podcast platforms. Also remember to join the movement at abolishslavery.us. To become a part of the solution, you can also text "end the exception" all one word, no spaces, and you want to text that to five two eight eight six and follow the prompts. This will send a signed petition on your behalf to your congressional reps in support of the proposed Twenty Eighth Amendment to repeal and replace the exception clause of the Thirteenth Amendment. And in our final segment, bridging the gap, we have something good. We have. Leroy Heiter, and he's going to be reading Frederick Douglass. Do you know offhand which segment this is, Max? Uh, I know, but I believe it is a speech unto itself. It's not from his books. Okay, he'll, great. He'll so Leroy Heiter is going to be Leroy Heiter is going to be reading Frederick Douglass, and that's going to be followed up by Gil Scott Heron. Peace go with you, brother. So we'll be back next Sunday, God willing. February 13th with another master class on slavery abolition. So until next week, think about abolition today. Don't forget, call in if you want to hear the final segment. Our call-in number is 515-605-9814 if you want to hear the uh, bonus coverage that we're going to have this evening after we play the Leroy Hyder reading Frederick Douglass. So tune in next week. Think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Peace. Abolition. 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 I ask my friends who are apologizing for not insisting upon this right, where can the black man look in this country for the assertion of his right if he may not look to the Massachusetts Anti-Slavery Society? Where, under the whole heavens, can he look for sympathy in asserting this right if he may not look to this platform. Have you lifted us up to a certain height to see that we are men 
and then are any disposed to leave us there without seeing that we are put in possession of all our rights? We look naturally to this platform for the assertion of all our rights, and for this one especially. I understand the anti-slavery societies of this country to be based on two principles. First, the freedom of the blacks of this country. And second, the elevation of them. Let me not be misunderstood here. I am not asking for sympathy at the hands of abolitionists, sympathy at the hands of any. I think the American people are disposed often to be generous rather than just. I look over this country at the present time and I see educational societies, sanitary commissions, freedmen's associations and the like, all very good. But in regard to people of color in this land, there has always been more that is benevolent, I perceive, than just manifested toward us. What I ask for the black man is not benevolence, not pity, not sympathy, but simply justice. The American people have always been anxious to know what they shall do with us. Everybody has asked the question and learned to ask it early of the abolitionists. What shall we do with the black man? I have had but one answer from the beginning. Do nothing with us. Your doing with us has already played the mischief with us. Do nothing with us. If the apple will not remain on the tree of their own strength, if they are worm-eaten at the core, if they are early ripe and disposed to fall, then let them fall. I'm not for tying or fastening them on the tree in any way except by nature's plan. And if they will not stay there, then let them fall. If the black man cannot stand on his own legs, then let him fall also. All I ask is, Give him a chance to stand on his own legs. Let him alone. If you see him on his way to school, let him alone. Don't disturb him. If you see him going to the dinner table at a hotel, then let him go. If you see him going to the ballot box, then let him alone. Don't disturb him. If you see him going into a workshop, just let him alone. Your interference is doing him a positive injury. Let him fall if he cannot stand alone. Black man cannot live by the line of eternal justice. The fault will not be yours. It will be his who made the black man and established that line for his government. Let him live or die by that. If you will only untie his hands and give him a chance, I think he will live. He will work as readily for himself as the white man. 
Now, a great many delusions have been swept away by this war. One was that the black man would not work. He has proved his ability to work. Another was that the black man would not fight, that he possessed only the most cheapest attributes of humanity, was a perfect lamb or an Uncle Tom, disposed to take off his coat whenever required, hold his hands and be whipped by anybody who wanted to whip him. But this war, this war has proved that there is a great deal of human nature in that black man. And that yes, he will fight.
Yeah. Taking headshots, not no legs and limbs. Take a headshot, fuck the left limb. I've been running around, feeling like a monster. Police trying to take me from my son and my daughters. I ain't pussy, and that's the way I was brought up. Street told us, never let them take nothing from me. President got a twister like a backwood. Let me know if I'm tripping or is it that good? I ain't seen a cracker hanging out in the backwood. With the KKK wood, I swear to God, it's gonna be a mess. I start snatching all white folk like I'm a wrestler And make them come to my house, work for me and call me Melfa While they lock the shelf yeah. And take them away from all their family and children And then they try to run away from me, I will And if they go against me, I'll probably will kill them Would you respect me or call me a killer? Be ready to What makes you say that Hillary Clinton is, 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 is paternalistic? In the way that she addresses the movement, she wants to tell the movement what to do and how to do. I remember Martin Luther King's quote that some white moderates prefer, prefer order rather than the positive presence of justice. And to her, we are not representing a way forward. Our agenda is not good enough, and so she skips over us and goes to the establishment, which is the NAACP, the Urban Leagues, which allowed mass incarceration to happen on their watch. They do not speak for black America. There is a youth movement. We are in the streets. We are not apathetic, and we will vote, but we are not being heard, and she is not willing and interested in speaking to our agenda of eliminating the, the, the exemption clause in the 13th Amendment and finally making slavery illegal. Abolition. 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 Abolition.